know, it took me well, almost the first 30 years of my life to come to that point where I was like, oh, I can write good programs. I'm better than average, but I don't actually enjoy it. And that was actually a huge and scary thing for me to even be able to say that. Welcome to Path to Purpose. I'm your host, Jackson. Join me as I interview inspiring individuals to hear how they discovered their purpose and found the courage to pursue it. Today's guest is Raj Bandopadai, owner and photographer at Series A Photography. After working for many years in the very technical domains of computer science and data science, Raj found a way to transition into the art of photography, a pivot that many might describe as a total 180. Listen to his very unique story to hear the things he gained and left behind when he chose to follow his calling. I grew up in Mumbai in the 80s. Uh, my parents were, you know, lower middle class. My dad was a factory supervisor. Uh, my mom was is a middle school teacher. And... Uh, I was a very nerdy kid, like, you know, always getting top grades. I was very curious about everything, but in a very bookish way. It wasn't like, I wasn't really like a tinker or something, like playing around with stuff with my hands. It was just books. When I was uh, nine years old, my mom, uh, you know, saved up for this and bought me in an entire encyclopedia set. This was like, you know, way before the internet. It was in the 80s. So it was actual like 21 <laughs> volumes of an encyclopedia. And I remember I over the next couple of years, I read through it from cover to cover. Uh, so I just love that wow. reading and all kinds of things. So that's the kind of kid I was. But uh, there wasn't like any particular clear like interest or passion that drew me. Got it. So by the time middle school and high school rolled around, you know, in those couple years before college, you still didn't really have an idea of what you might want to do in life, right? No. And because I did not, and because I was known and I had proved myself to be at least smart at taking tests, uh, I kind of, you know, got the usual. My mom was, you know, with a very typical tiger mom, like, you know, Asian kind of, you know, always driving me to... Uh, to do like you know go to the top schools and all of that so uh, since I didn't have any clear interest it was very much like all right I'm going to either do engineering or medicine and if I'm going to do engineering it has to be at the top school in India which is the IITs the Indian Institutes of Technology and the way the, the way the Indian Institute of Technology works is that uh, you have to take an entrance test it's extremely hard and competitive because I was you know considered a smart kid that was the path my parents had set for me. And so that's what I ended up spending most of my high school years doing, preparing for this crazy, difficult entrance test. Right. So you followed the direction provided by your parents and you got to the top, the best school, very prestigious. When you yeah. got there, I guess for the next four years, what, were your, what was your experience like? Did you enjoy your, your time in college? Did you like what you were studying? Not really. I mean, there were parts of it. I mean, I, so the way, uh, way IITs work is that in the entrance exam, you are assigned, you know, there might, there might be hundreds of thousands of students taking the exam, literally, and you are assigned a rank. So I, you know, I had gotten a rank high enough to basically pick whatever I liked and whichever campus and whichever major. And at that time, it was 1996. 
computer science was just starting to heat up, like really heat up, like uh, Y2K was coming around and everyone, you know, India, like, you know, the outsourcing movement in India had just started. So everyone was talking about computers and the internet was just kind of starting to become a thing. So, uh, you know, again, just because it was the hottest thing at the time, like everyone was like, okay, you got to pick computer science. So like, okay, I don't need really, again, I don't really have a strong, I don't honestly even know what goes into the different branches of engineering. So I'm going to pick computer science. Now, to be clear, I, before that time, I, had, I hadn't even actually ever touched a computer. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I just picked this major because it was the thing, again, kind of expected. Yeah. During those years, did you have time outside of your studies to develop any other hobbies or interests? I had a very hard time in college and this can get into some personal territory but I really suffered from depression part of it was I think because I was I mean there are parts of computer science that I really enjoy like certain courses certain uh, things but it just never felt like like right it just never you know it was like I know for our friends or people from my college who are now like top engineers at Google or whatever and when I see them or when I when I see how they work with computers, they really care about that stuff. They really care about programming. They really care about what they can make computers do. They get joy in it. To me, it was not like that. It was just like, okay, this is an assignment. I have to write a program to do this. I mean, it's fun sometimes. It is challenging sometimes, but it, was, it wasn't anything particularly like, like didn't feel connected to it that much. So that was part of the problem. I didn't feel that. College was extremely stressful. I can imagine, you can imagine what going to an MIT or a Stanford is like, right? Like there's like a relentless pressure for grades. And, you know, when you get to a college like this, and especially when you when you have parents who have pushed you all, all your life and you are, you know, you've always gotten the top grades, you've always gotten like, you know, the top whatever, that expectation doesn't change. But then now you are in a college where everyone around you is, is just like you, as smart as you, smarter than you, all of that. So my parents like you know when the first semester rolled around and i got my grades for at the end of the semester they were like why aren't you at the top and i'm like uh there are a lot of smart people here so <laughs> so that was that pressure was always there uh india still is a culture and that time it was worse but still is a culture where uh, mental health is, is very stigmatized so I couldn't really talk to anyone about suffering from depression and all of that. And even my parents were like, uh, stop making excuses, that sort of thing. And that happens a lot, right, in, in, um, in these kinds of cultures. So it was hard. Like, I barely managed to just kind of keep my grades at a respectable level through the four years and kind of get through it and then just get the fuck out of there. Yeah. So you grinded through those years at you know, this very prestigious school in a highly competitive environment. What did you do after graduation? It's so funny. The saga continues. After graduation, again, I didn't have a very clear idea of what I wanted to do because I just kind of survived. My, you know, in college was just about like getting through this uh, very competitive thing. So I was like, okay, I just need to, I know the one thing I need to do is get the fuck out. And (laughs) by out, I meant not just getting out of, uh, college but also getting out of India because at that point I was like I think so you know I was have you know I was very depressed uh there were some issues with my, my issues with my family my dad had lost his job so 
he was unemployed for a while and that was causing a lot of stress in my family and i just wanted to get the fuck out of there and i think it was yeah. kind of a uh, it was kind of a survival move like i needed knew i needed to put some distance so uh, i applied to grad schools in the in the us which is again a lot of what what uh, people at that time in my college did and i got into rice in houston right. texas in their computer science phd program and just over 20 years ago so in august 2000 i i ended up at rice for grad school and what was that experience like was it any easier or happier than than your college experience it was it was sort it was very healing i think i spent a lot of time in grad school way more than i than i should have but mm-hmm. i also needed some of that time to to sort of heal from that crazy experience of the last few years not just college but also the stress stress of high school and preparing for that exam so basically you know i can imagine that the last 6 years or so had been like constant stress right and so i needed the time so in grad school uh, the biggest thing that happened to me in the first couple of years was that i found out what depression was and i remember this uh, because there was this one day i was in the student center and i saw a pamphlet on a, on a on a notice board saying yeah. like 10 symptoms of depression if you have any you know any of these you should go to our counseling center and i would remember myself clearly checking off like check 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 oh shit wow <laughs> this is like all of them <laughs> so i started getting treatment for that at the counseling center and this finding out more about it which was which was i think life saving for me and it also kind of made me mad i was like i went to support, supposedly like you know the top school in india and they why did i not have this pamphlet there right so yeah so i needed the time to heal and i also spent a lot of grad school time doing what what a lot of kids do in college which is uh you know exploring different uh, majors or classes in different uh, majors just because i could right so the cool system where if you're a grad student you could just audit classes yeah. in any department and uh, wanted to so once i'd done with i was done with my class requirements I, i did all kinds of crazy classes I took classes in the history department in the english department in like i took two years of uh, chinese language just because i could wow and i think that was <laughs> that was part of something deeper inside me you know when i told you about as a kid how i was interested and curious in, about everything right yeah. like a lot of different topics i read a whole encyclopedia mm-hmm. i think something about going to a tech school like you know iit or you know like that sort of school where everything is about tech wasn't fulfilling for me right whereas going to a school like rice which was not just an engineering school kind of i it was a lot of freedom that i really enjoyed kind of exploring and you know all kinds of majors and subjects so it was really i i really enjoyed that experience overall you were finding yourself to be in an environment that recognized the uh recognized mental illness as a thing and mm-hmm. you were able to get help it was a healthier environment and the school allowed you to pursue other interests in a way that iit didn't exactly um, but you were still your degree was still in computer science at rice so at that point given that the environment had changed so much did your perception of computer science as a domain change as well did you feel more interested and excited in that as a career or did you feel the same way as you felt about it in college that's a very good question because notice when i talked about college and what i enjoyed there i didn't say a single thing about my major or my or my thesis or any of the you know, of the computer science stuff 
I was still in very much in the mode of like, I'm the good Asian kid. Right. I, you know, whatever I'm doing outside of this computer science stuff is like just fun. It's a hobby that is like, you know, I have to kind of still for my career, I have to do something that's respectable and that's the path. Right. Mm-hmm. So computer science, I, I did manage to finish a thesis. It took a long time. Uh, it wasn't really fun at all. That part of grad school wasn't like I didn't care too much about. Again, it was very much like on autopilot. So after those eight years of your PhD program, uh, you moved to Georgia, right? Yeah. And, and what were you doing there? So I got a job in Atlanta as a software engineer at a, at a startup. And uh, my partner decided to go to grad school and do a PhD in public policy at Georgia Tech. So we spent five years in in Atlanta where I uh, was working in several, I worked in several different startups. First, I started out as a software engineer, worked for a couple of years. And then I think that was the time in my life. This was, you know, I was already in my early thirties when I started to recognize that that I could change my path. And I started to recognize, uh, let me see how I can phrase this, in myself, like, you know, learning to recognize science when I liked something or I, did, or I didn't. And that was, you know, it took me when almost the first 30 years of my life to come to that point where I was like, oh, I don't actually enjoy software engineering that much. I'm good at it. I can write good programs. I'm better than average, but I don't actually enjoy it. It doesn't bring me much joy. And that was actually a huge and scary thing for me to even be able to say that. Right. Because, you know, for a lot of us, you know, who grew up in families or cultures that are that kind, it's like, you can't, you don't have the space to articulate your own own desire. It's always like, you're always yeah. doing things either because out of a sense of duty or because you're supposed to. And so for me to be at that time able to say like, I want to make a change Right. Not because it's what I'm supposed to do, but because I really want to for myself. And so that's when I started kind of looking at alternate career paths. Like I couldn't see myself being a software engineer for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of listeners can probably resonate with the idea of, wow, having that realization is scary. I mean, especially yeah. for you, because you had invested so many years of your life in, into yeah. studying this field, right? I know. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's like loss aversion, right? You've invested so much and, yeah. and that is your life. Like how do you make a change, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, at that time I started looking into what alternate careers I could I could pursue. And I kind of tried a couple of different options. At that time, I remember I went through like a six month through a year phase where I was trying out all kinds of different things for a little bit. You know, this was early, like, you know, 2009, 2000, like 2010, 11. So the iPhone had come out in 2007, I think. Everyone was starting to go and get into app store. I just opened. Everyone had started to get into mobile apps. So I was like, oh, let's, let's see what mobile app development is like. Yeah. So I tried like taking some courses on mobile app development and, le- and learning some coding. And then soon enough, I realized I had no visual aptitude whatsoever. At least not, <laughs> not the graphics kind. I was like, okay, this is interesting, but not my thing. And then I tried a bunch of different kinds of things still within like programming because I kept hoping, I think, and this is something that it, that. I kept hoping for a long time that, oh, if I just pick up another different technology or different language or a different like programming thing, then maybe I'll, I'll be happy. So I didn't think of it as a, some, as a problem, some, you know, always think of it as a problem like bigger than computers. I kept hoping that maybe I wouldn't have to make, kind of denying myself. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so 
mobile apps wasn't out. And then I landed on two things that, that again, I, I got interested in. One was like management consulting. Hmm. So I was like, okay, maybe management. I mean, it sounded very interesting because like, you know, it involves a lot of people interaction and like business problems. It sounded like a different kind of mental challenge. Right. And I actually went through quite a bit of an interview process with like some of the like McKinsey and, and the top firms, a lot of networking even got like, you know, got some consultants to like forward my resume and all of that stuff. And then as I talked to people in that field, I realized that I, you know, I was already in my early thirties and I wasn't, that wasn't the life for me. I didn't want to be spending 80 hours a week traveling or at yeah. a job or anything. If I were 10 years younger, I would have been probably like, hell yes, but I just wasn't anymore. So I decided to walk away from that idea. And then the next thing that came to my mind were, or came in front of me was uh, data science. So this was 2012. Coursera had just started and Andrew Noh had just launched his first machine learning course. I took that course, loved it. And I was like, I want to know more. And then I started taking these classes with Stanford through their continuing education program. I really loved it. I took it for, you know, took several classes for the next year or two and uh, changed careers to being a data scientist in around 2013 or so. Got it. So you were still working as a software engineer, but you realized that data science was something that seemed interesting. And once you finally kind of accumulated enough of those skills, you made the pivot to data science. Yep. In twenty late 2013, I got a job at this uh, Atlanta-based uh, startup called Pindrop Security, which was a very prestigious startup at the time. It was, uh, yeah, so they were the first startup that Andreessen Horowitz funded in the South. So they were pretty prestigious in a big shot in Atlanta. And I, I got a role, a very early employee role as their chief data scientist. So I was their first data scientist. And uh, they, they were a company that did fraud detection on the phone. So I ended up being there for two years, building a machine learning team of like, you know, four full-time people, lots of in- interns and part-time uh, people and all that. And, and uh, doing a lot of work there, like, you know, publishing, like, you know, giving talks, pay patterns, all of that stuff. So totally like rocked that field uh, for a couple of years in Atlanta. Was it around that time that you also began uh, kind of dabbling in photography as a hobby? Was that when that entered the picture? My partner gave me a camera for my birthday, a DSLR camera for my birthday in 2011. So it's almost 10 years ago. This was around the time that I was actually, you know, trying to switch away from software engineer. I think he just noticed I was really depressed and he just wanted me to like get a hobby basically. <laughs> so I got that camera and I was, I just kind of took travel photos and like, you know, that sort of thing. So it was never really like more than just a hobby at that time. And, but I, I was gradually getting better at it. Uh, in Atlanta though, it was just pretty much just something I, I used to do for fun. Like when I, we used to have big parties at our place and I used to take pictures of our land and post them on Facebook. I mean, people liked the photos. People thought I was a pretty good photographer, but you know, at that time it wasn't really anything more than a hobby. Okay. So you were working at, you were finally working in something that you thought was more interesting. So data science, and you were also able to have the side hobby of photography, you know, nothing serious, but it made you happy. Mm -hmm. It sounds like life was pretty good, right? At that point. Yeah, life was pretty good. But, you know, there was, I was kind of coming to my mid 30s at that point. And 
here's what happened at that job. So I had signed up as an early employee and, uh, you know, I was a chief data scientist. The idea was that I would build out this data science function as the company grew. I would be kind of on the, uh, I was, you know, I was reporting initially directly to the CEO and then I would continue to do that, build, you know, build out this whole like team of like, you know, researchers and all of that. And that would, you know, basically be like, the VP of research or something like that. Right? Mm-hmm. Great. That was kind of the plan when I started. Now here's what happened. I had never had a leadership role before. And as I built out my team, I, 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 I developed a reputation as being a great manager. Like all the feedback I got from my reports was that I was great. I was a great mentor. I was a great manager. I took care of people, all of the good stuff. What I didn't know and this was something no one had taught me or told me, was that as a leader in a company, you also have to learn to manage outward and upward. Like it's not just about managing your reports. I mean, that's what a good technical manager does. But you also, if you're actually, if you want to be seen as a, as a leader, you also have to learn how to communicate in, you know, to other execs, to like people who are in different teams, across different functions, all of that. When you have something like data science or computer science, that's a, that's a hard technical skill. You can Google it and be like, yes, this is what I need to learn. But when it comes to people skills, like you can Google like, why won't anyone in my company listen to me? You're not gonna get a, <laughs> you know, a curriculum. Right, right, right. So the CEO of the company decided to hire a more senior person above me to, to, the, to fulfill the role that I was supposed to be in. And that kind of started kind of my journey of like questioning if this is really the path I wanted to continue on. Around that time, this was 2015 or so, uh, my partner finished grad school at Georgia Tech and decided to move to San Francisco for a job. So I decided to basically follow him and and just uh, move to San Francisco too and figure out my next move. So, yeah. What was that move like since you had spent so much time in the South? Yeah, so it was a very different thing. I was I, I spent a few months just kind of, you know, decided to take a few months off and just kind of think about what I wanted to do and get a break from this because I knew that if I just rushed into another job, even if it, you know, I, I on paper, you know, I had an amazing resume because this was 2015. Data science was just starting to heat up. And I was way ahead of the curve because experienced data scientists were like a rare commodity. I ended up connecting with this company called Springboard, which uh, is an edtech company. It's uh, they do online courses in data science and uh, UX design and software engineering, a bunch of things. At that time, they just had one course in data science and one course in design, and they wanted somebody to to uh, manage the data science vertical and take care, like grow the vertical, develop new courses and all of that. So that seemed that seemed really appealing to me because it kind of reflected my own journey into data science where I had kind of trained myself into data science by taking online courses and stuff. So um, yeah, that's the job I started. I stayed in that uh, job for about a little more than four years. And I officially ended up quitting like a couple of months ago. It sounds like, yeah, you were able to try different things and wear many hats at this very early stage startup. Yeah. And it sounded like the work yeah. was really interesting to you. 
Yeah. So for example, like I, there was a point when we needed an, an email campaign for our data science funnel. So our marketing guy, and we just had one marketing guy was like, hey Raj, can you help write some emails? So I ended up writing this whole email campaign for data science. That was like seven emails talking about a day in the life of a data scientist. And that, e that email campaign is still our most used campaign after five years. At that point, did you still have concerns about the soft skills you had mentioned earlier that you became aware of at Pindrop? Like those soft skills that you were lacking, did you feel the same at Springboard? Yeah, I did. I knew that I was already starting to see the signs as the company grew and it starts to become more official. Everything starts to become more process driven and so on. I started to realize that uh, the same kinds of issues were going to come up for me. And then the question for me is that I started asking myself was, do I want to spend the time, you know, whatever time it takes, three, four years learning these people's skills, hoping that I can get the kind of role I want in companies like this, is it worth it? Is it worth spending the time versus spending that time doing stuff I really enjoy and care about? And that's the question that started, that, that started you know, voice that started playing in the back of my head at this time. Right. And by the time that you were facing this obstacle in your career, had your photography hobby evolved into anything more or anything else? So I kind of, at that time, so this was, you know, two years into Springboard, I was around 37 years old. So it's about four years ago, I would say. I had already, so I told you I started picked up photography in 2011. It was, uh, you know, it had become a hobby and so on. And after moving to San Francisco, I started getting a little more serious about it. I started taking my camera to like events, parties, so on. I used to take pictures. Uh, those pictures, like my friends started really liking those pictures. Most, many of those pictures became my friends' profile pictures, like that sort of thing. And then some of my friends started sending me their friends. So like, hey, Raj is a pretty good photographer. Like, if you want a headshot, maybe you should go to him. I was like, oh, this is interesting. So people are actually offering to pay me like money for this occasionally now. So it's, it's, it's always a good sign, right? When people actually want to pay you money for things uh so i was like okay this is cool and that started getting me in the mind of like what if i could actually make money from this so i started like as i was working at springboard uh i started also kind of putting some feelers out like i got a cup you know i got a few clients who who paid me for headshots i got a couple of gigs with like companies or other startups through my network who are like, oh, we need headshots for our team. Like, can you come do that? So I did that and I was like, oh, this is actually really fun and it's very rewarding. And then on the side, I was also doing like creative projects on the weekend or on the weekend with friends, just kind of having friends over and be like, hey, come over, we'll do some, we'll do a photo shoot with, you know, some XYZ style or whatever. So uh, it's like, this is, this is actually super fun. It's bringing me a lot of joy. I really enjoy this. And at that time, like, the idea started, like, what if this could be a career? And I didn't actually know how to make it happen, but I was like, that's, that thought had sparked itself. At this point, Raj was nearing the ceiling in his career as a data scientist. At the same time, he had grown his photography hobby into a full side hustle with real clients. These opposing forces made his future path uncertain. That is, until the opportunity of a lifetime came his way. 
Let's find out what happened and how Raj made a decision that very few could have anticipated. So about two years of working in Springboard, I got a job lead from a friend. And this was a job of a director of data science or artificial intelligence or something fancy sounding at a big bank. And this is a bank that, you know, if I say the name, that like everyone would know it. Uh, so they, this big bank was working on opening, they had machine learning centers um, in New York and DC, and they wanted to open one in San Francisco, and they needed somebody at a director level role to, uh, to start to kind of build out the whole team. So I applied to it and went through a crazy, grueling interview process that lasted like a few weeks. And then I, then I got the offer, and the offer was crazy. It would have literally tripled what I was making at Springboard, like literally. And uh, just like insane perks and all the things you'd expect from a from a working at a big financial institution, right? And what was your immediate reaction when you learned that you got the offer? And I remember looking at that offer and just being like, I don't know if I can, if I can do this. I just don't know. And it's like, this makes all the sense on the surface. This is what you know, my parents would, have, would want me to do. This is what my, you know, everybody, you know, this is what I've worked towards, right? All of this, like my formal career, like I've always dreamed of or like aimed to be like an exec in a big company and all of that. And now I have this role and what's going on? Why can't I do this? So I spent a week agonizing over it, talking to every friend I had, every mentor I had, and like trying to like, figure out what was going on in my head and pretty much my closest friends and mentors were like it's already clear what you want so just you know why are you asking for permission from anyone else just fucking do it so a week later the day i was supposed to make my decision i walked into the office and and asked the co-founder of springboard for a meeting and i told the ceo actually and i um i told i showed him the offer and i said hey I have this offer that you know will pay me three times as much. And I think initially he thought I was gonna ask for a pay raise. And I was like, no, I don't want a pay raise. What I want is to be able to work, go part-time working for Springboard so I can pursue photography on the side. And he was like, so it was, this was something I don't think he had expected at all. Because he was, he was like, he was probably like, oh, this guy's not gonna ask me for a pay raise with this big offer. So I was like, nope. I can either work here or I can work, keep working part-time for you and, and make less money and you have to pay me less and I'll work. <laughs> he was like, what? Okay, let's make it happen. <laughs> and so I spent the next two, two and a half years that I was at Springboard uh, working, going down part-time, working three days a week so I could, I could make the space to, to work on my photography skills. Why did you feel like it was necessary at that point to go part-time and devote more time to photography? There is a huge leap in photography skills that you need to make to go from even to being a good amateur to an actual pro level. Like there's a fuck ton of stuff that involves technical skills, of course, like, you know, lighting and all of that stuff, lighting, posing and all of that. Uh, But more importantly than that, uh, people skills. Like photography today is a lot about 
not about just the quality of photos you take because so many people have good cameras, you know, phones have great cameras today. It's a lot about the experience that you provide to your clients. Like you want your client to walk away really feeling seen, really feeling good about themselves. And that requires people skills as much as your technical skills. So learning those skills took me a long time. And having this part-time role gave me both the time and the energy to, to be able to do that. That makes a lot of sense. I think a lot more work goes into every photo than what meets the eye. Raj, I want to back up a little bit to the opportunity at the bank. It seems like that offer would have set you up for the rest of your career and also equipped you with the right soft skills to finally break through that executive ceiling, right? Exactly. It set me up for life. I, you know, I would have gotten all the coaching and resources I needed to develop those skills because that's what they do. Big companies do. They give you whatever you ask for in those roles. So then did you ever regret not accepting that opportunity? Let me tell you this. There has not been a single day where I have felt like I should have taken that job. Like I feel today that it was the right decision in retrospect. Like I, I have not regretted. I'd never wake up in the day, uh, wake up uh, thinking, Oh, I wish today I was an exec at that big bank. Like, no. Photography is so different from your very technical training in computer science and data science. What is it about photography that makes it so compelling to you? And how did you know that it was more than a hobby, Mm -hmm. but a passion or calling? Yeah. So what on a day-to-day basis, what I enjoy about photography is the one-on-one interaction I have with people and the way I can impact them. And there's something about storytelling that's really interesting and challenging for me. Like basically being able to listen to somebody, to a client, to hear their life story and whatever that's going through their life, going on in their life right now, and be able to convey those emotions and those, even those like actual like incidents through photos is a kind of technical challenge in a way because, you know, a technical and creative challenge because you have to come up with concepts like, okay, how do I represent this particular thing that happened in a, in a person's life, right? So that's one, there's a creative challenge there. There's a technical challenge of like posing, lighting, direction, composition, all of that stuff. And then most importantly, when they look at that photo and they, they, they're like, oh, you know, many of my clients will start crying when they see a photo or like, they'll be like, oh my God, I feel so seen. I feel so like recognized. You've just really captured my story. Uh, they are, they will see themselves in a way that they've never seen before. Like for, I, I do a lot of personal, brand, personal branding photography for people who want to be entrepreneurs, coaches, authors, speakers. And when they see themselves in their photo, they're like, oh, I didn't, this, I look like an author. I look like an entrepreneur. I look like a speaker. Yeah. So it kind of changes their view of themselves. And to me, that one-on-one impact is so rewarding. You know, I've done cool things in tech. Like I've done, you know, I've built software or like products that have influenced a lot of lives and directly or indirectly, mostly indirectly. Uh, But there is nothing that felt as fulfilling as that direct impact. And it kept happening again and again. It wasn't just like a novelty or a fad. 
And that was something I learned, learned to recognize in myself. It was like, oh, this thing is just a constant source of reward and fulfillment. And I have to listen to that. That's super inspiring. So you went to your, your boss at, um, at Springboard and said, hey, I have this offer that triples my salary, but if you can allow me to work part-time, yeah. I'll take a pay cut and stay. What, what were the people around you saying? Like, what advice did you get? What was your family's reaction? Did, did people think you were crazy? My closest friends didn't. Unfortunately, that meant that I have very close friends, good friends who were yeah. completely supportive. But yes, my, my, my family did think I was a little I was <laughs> weird. My mom had passed away that time. I think she would, she would mm. if she hadn't passed away, she would have probably gotten a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> but uh, my dad was like, well, I guess if that's what makes me happy. But he was very puzzled by it. And then same for yeah. my uncles, aunts, cousins, all of us. I was like, why would you do that again? I yeah. mean, they just thought I was, I mean, I think still people, there's some people who think it's kind of a weird midlife crisis phase or something like that. It's like some people get Lamborghinis and a new, like, you know, partner. <laughs> I, I just decided to get a new career. Like, or, so many of yeah. I think some people still are in my community or family think of it that way a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think your decision makes a lot of sense and it is a little bit, it's a path that not, maybe not many people consider because I think in a lot of people's eyes, it's either, either you quit or you stay, but yep. it doesn't occur that, Hey, actually going part-time is an option if you want to build your side business, uh, while also maintaining the security and stability of, of your normal job. Um, so once you became, uh, part-time, I think for the next three years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What did your day-to-day -day look like? How, how would you break out your weeks or days between, your job as a data scientist and your role as a photographer? To me, this was like, one thing that happened to me was that to this day, I'm super loyal to Springboard because they gave me that opportunity and not many startups do that. And you know, so I still have their, I had their best interest in mind. I was like, okay, you've given me the opportunity to do mm. that. I'm going to find and hire the best people to replace my functions. And then for the rest of the time that I was there, I was like, I'm going to, like I didn't have any any kind of like any more like ambitions at Springboard, so to speak. I was every day I was I would show up and be like, what do I do today to, that helps the company the most? And it didn't matter if it was like some project, like a piece of grant work or like you know something that required like st strategic thinking or whatever. To me, it was like I'm going to do that. However, the the way the company's attitude changed towards me was super interesting. People were like, every yeah. time there was a project that was like, that came on my plate, there were other people who were like, wait, Raj is here for only three days a week. Is this the best use of his time? So my, my three days a week became much more productive and enjoyable and less full of shit work. Yeah, it's amazing how when a resource becomes more limited, people are much more thoughtful, thoughtful about how they want to use it. Yeah. <laughs> and then outside my, my remaining time, like uh, my... Uh, outside of my three days a week, what I was doing for photography, I mean, I'd never built a business before. I had never even thought about building a business before. So the remaining time for me was spent in a mix of two things. One, actually improving my photography skills. So what I learned very quickly was that 
I had like zero business skills whatsoever. I mean, I'd learned some through osmosis and working <laughs> right, startups, right. but I had no fucking clue how to like run a business or build a business or anything like that. So that was also something I had to start from the ground up. So I had to spend like these three years sort of yeah. learning just to get to the point where I could call myself a professional photographer. Got it. So going part-time was really instrumental in giving you enough time to go from, you know, hobbyist to on your way to being a professional. Right. But you recently went uh, full-time to photography, right? Yeah. How did you make that decision? And why was the timing right? So I had just finished four years at Springboard, so I was fully vested. And you know, as an early employee, I, there was a lot to rest, so, so that was important for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also uh, I needed to go to India uh, to take care. My, my dad died two years ago. My mom had passed away a long time ago. So there was a lot of like property yeah. and other financial stuff I needed to take care of that I'd just been putting off because I didn't have the time to do it. So I went there and around the end of that period, this was March, like COVID happened, obviously. And I came back to San Francisco, just kind of to quarantine. And it just felt like, okay, this is the time when everyone is kind of reflecting and figuring out, you know, what changes to make in their lives. People are all stuck at home. I don't particularly need this job right now. I know I want to do photography. I was mentally kind of already checked out of the job. And uh, fortunately, I'm in a situation where I have... A bit of savings. My partner has a really good job. Our expenses were really low because of the pandemic. We were not doing anything or going anywhere. It felt like just the right time to sort of make that leap. Yeah. I think your story is super interesting in that it's it's not like the typical journey we hear where somebody hates their job and just straight up quits. You actually were happy at mm-hmm. your at your job um, at Springboard and you liked your colleagues and you had a great yeah. rapport with them. What would you say is the difference between liking your job and finding fulfillment or purpose? How did you know, like, what was the difference for you between, in your mind between photography and this job that you liked? Where was that gap? I think the gap was I couldn't see myself doing that job for the rest of my mm. life. Whereas I can see myself doing photography and whatever it leads to for the rest of my life, it excites me. It's like, yeah. uh, this is fulfilling in that way. So there is a, a difference between, I think, liking something and having fun and like, you know, having it being okay yeah. versus this is a calling. This is a sense of purpose. This is fulfillment. This is, uh, this brings me flow, like all of that. When you're following your purpose, you, you know that from the sense of fulfillment you get yeah. uh, almost every day. I mean, there are days when photography also sucks, but <laughs> uh, overall, it's like more often than not, it's a, it's it's very fulfilling and uh, it brings me a deep sense of joy. What kind of clients do you work with now and how would you describe your business? I work with entrepreneurs who could be like coaches or fitness instructors, all the kinds of things, authors and speakers to help them project their own brands on their website, on you know LinkedIn and other social media, as also on Instagram. So nowadays you see, you know, it's very important for people to brand themselves. And especially in, in COVID, I'm seeing a lot of people kind of starting their own things, own careers, own like, you know, businesses and so on. And today, in, you know, in today's world, your personal brand is as important as, as any. So that's, you know, a corporate brand or whatever you have to uh, be that. So I help basically uh, 
understand my clients' stories and, and help them express that through really powerful images. And I also work with uh, startups to do a similar thing, to help them kind of show the world who they are and what they stand for through headshots, through team photos, through office photos, and, and so on. A big thank you, Raj, for being on the show. Um, where can listeners find out more about you or your business? My brand is called Series A Photography, and my website is seriesaphotography.com. Raj's story is different from most. He liked his career in startups and his teams loved him. He was making great money while working at the forefront of technology and his combination of experiences made him highly sought after by many companies in Silicon Valley. However, despite his impressive resume, perhaps the most transformative skill Raj acquired over the years was the ability to recognize and accept what made him happy and unhappy. That realization led him to understand the importance of photography in his life, and that became his guiding North Star. Many people tell themselves they don't know what their passion is, but I think we can all give ourselves a little more credit because deep down, we know what makes us smile and what makes us frown. Nurture those things that make you smile, let them blossom into what they're meant to, and give yourself permission to listen to yourself. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review. It helps me reach more listeners looking for inspiration. I would also love to hear what your takeaways were from this story and feature them in a future episode. To do that or to leave questions or suggestions, you can email me at pathtopurposepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, it's a tongue twister. Catch you on the next episode.